Well, let's jump into our time of study. If you turn into Hebrews chapter 11, we'll jump right into it. Uh, Last week, we just dipped our toes a bit into Hebrews 11, um, the great heroes of the faith chapter, the hall of faith, whatever uh, phrase you like to use for that. Uh, We just looked at the introduction to the subject of of faith, and we looked at that in the first three, three verses. And just as a quick recap, uh, <clears throat> there in verse 1, it says that faith is a substance of things hoped for. And what we talked about last week, that it's the assurance of things that we hope for. Not, not a wishful thinking, that's the, the world's idea of faith. Not uh, believing things into existence, that also uh, comes from the world. But it's believing in something that God said will happen. It's believing in His promises. And so it's the assurance of things hoped for uh, because of who said it, who gave us the hope, not so much the what. But it's also described in here as the evidence of things not seen. Because our our future is assured, it it gives them a reality in our life. We should be able to live with the eyes of faith. We talked about that a bit last week. They become certain about the unseen uh, things. And and, uh, the kind of faith that he's talking about was evidenced all throughout the Old Testament, and in particularly in the lives of these men and women that we're about to, um, uh, to look into. And this first one comes to us in verse 4. This first example is Abel. And now Abel appears in Genesis chapter 4, um, and that's the only Old Testament place that he exists there, Genesis chapter 4, and just in five verses. And he's mentioned eight times in those five verses, but he only exists in those five verses in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he's uh, mentioned in three places. Jesus referred to him. And so since Jesus referred to him, you'd expect to see something in the Gospels, and you do. Both in Matthew and Luke recorded what Jesus said about him, and we'll look at that a little bit later. Other than that, the only place Abel is mentioned in the New Testament is right here in Hebrews chapter 11, and one more time in Hebrews chapter 12. But this is what's interesting, is Abel's never recorded as saying anything. We don't hear any amazing words from the man of faith. We don't uh, really even see any amazing exploits like a, a Samson or anything like that. No, no really big mention. In fact, not much can be said about him because, well, he died um, and probably fairly young in terms of the Genesis ages of young. <laughs> so then why, why is Abel even mentioned here? Why is Abel the first one out the gate? Well, the author is doing something pretty uh, interesting here, and I want to point this out. Last week, we looked actually at the first example. So this is not really the first example, technically. There was an example before this. All the examples begin with the same phrase, by faith, by faith, by faith. Well, there was a by faith already in verse 3. It's by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And so certainly he looked at the Old Testament and said, listen, you guys already are exhibiting this kind of faith. You believe in Genesis. You believe in the creation account. You believe that God made everything in six days. You believe that he said, let there be light and there was light. You're exhibiting that kind of faith. I'm going to give you examples now, people who had that kind of uh, faith. But that was the first example, and that's the creation of the world, the creation of everything, not just the world. The world, that's I own. So that's the universe, the ages of time. So that's the beginning of time. And so what he's doing here, he's going chronologically. He begins with the beginning of time, and then he goes to the very first example that you could possibly see in Scripture of faith, and that's Abel. Now, 
here you would go, okay, but hold on a second. Weren't there other people before Abel? Well, there were. There was Adam and there was Eve, weren't there? Adam and Eve. You go, what about, what about Adam and Eve? I mean, certainly they could be people of faith. They couldn't be people of faith, at least not to the same extent that their children were. And the reason is, is they dwelt with God. They fellowship with him face to face. They walked with him in the garden. They had a unique relationship with God in paradise, in his presence. But they sinned and they were kicked out. So it was their children who would be the first people on the planet that would need to exhibit faith because Adam and Eve, they were disfellowshipped from God. And so their children, you think about this, Cain and Abel, they're born separated from God. They never knew that same paradise that Adam and Eve uh, did. And so therefore, they're the two uh, first human beings that need to exercise faith. But Abel is the one that's singled out here and not Cain. Why Abel? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. It's Abel's faith. That's the simple title of today's. And we're just looking at, we're just looking at verse 4 where Abel is mentioned. So a very short passage today. Uh, look at it with me. Verse 4 says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he, being dead, still speaks. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much for this wonderful chapter that we get to uh, delve into now, Lord, as we look at the uh, uh, Old Testament examples, men and women of of faith. We pray that you would, Lord, uh, just help us to see the importance the, uh, of these men and these women mentioned here, Lord. Uh, what was it about their faith that made them stand out, Lord, and that maybe we would be challenged just a bit uh, about our own faith. And so guide us into truth today, Lord. We want to glorify you with our lives. We want to, Lord, uh, really uh, see ourselves as the same, uh, heroes of faith. Lord, I would love to enter your presence with you as saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And so, Lord, we just pray that this would inspire us, this would encourage us, and it would bless you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're just looking at one verse, so it's going to break down pretty simple for you uh, here. I'm just going to have the verse on the screen and kind of highlight each section, if that works for you. So the first part we're looking at is that very first phrase, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. All right, we're just looking at that. So he, by faith, offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And here what we're going to see, point one, is Abel's authentic faith. And this is an example of authentic faith, and hopefully you'll, you'll see this as we go into it. Now, what I want you to do, since we're going to put verse 4 up on the screen each time for you, um, I'm going to have you turn to Genesis 4, because if we really want to know about Abel, well, we've got to go to the account. And we're going to spend the rest of the time in Genesis 4, because as I said, I'll put the uh, Hebrews verse up on the screen for you each time we come back to it. But we want to go to Genesis chapter uh, 4. <clears throat> now, Genesis, Genesis chapter 4 here, keep in mind again, takes place after the fall. Adam and Eve have been kicked out of the garden. They're no longer in his presence. They're uh, driven out from his presence. There's an angel, uh, a cherubim, and there's a flaming sword guarding the way to the Garden of Eden. They, they are not in his uh, presence. And we're here told in verse uh, 1, I'll just read through the beginning parts of this, this um, how uh, Cain and Abel came about. Verse 1, now Adam, 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 Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, 
it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is, your, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. And then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Now, as we read through that, just by a very kind of cursory reading, a simple reading of this count, it seems a little bit mysterious, a little bit confusing. Why did God accept Abel's offering and not Cain's? I mean, after all, they, they both brought an offering. Uh, Cain, he's a farmer. Makes sense that a farmer, farmer would bring an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel, he's a shepherd. Naturally, then, he would bring something from his flock. So what was, um, what was the deal with God? Why was he not happy with Cain's offering? Well, let me remind you of something as we looked at the introduction to faith last week. We looked at some passages of Scripture that talk about faith. And I want to remind you of this one in Romans 10, 17. It tells us where faith is derived from. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay, to do something by faith, it must be in response to something God said. Nobody naturally happens, has just faith. We're told here that faith comes by the hearing, and the hearing comes through the word of God. And so, first, when we read this account of Cain and Abel's offerings, it is implicit, okay? It's implied that they knew God required an offering. Otherwise, why, why did they bring an offering? They knew God wanted an offering. They brought him an offering. And we also know that because of the character of God. We know that our God isn't uh, arbitrary uh, or unpredictable. He's not like the, the pagan gods that you read about who just love to toy with their human subjects and have fun with them. God's not playing a game with Cain and Abel. God's rejection of Cain's sacrifice implies something. It implies that it was an improper offering, uh, not merely something God just didn't prefer. He didn't look at the two and go, hmm, I'll, I'll take that one. Yours, I, I like that one better. That's not what was happening. He rejected it based on something deeper than that. The second thing is that when we read this account, it's also implied that they knew what qualified a proper offering. Now, we'll break that down in just a second because I know I just said those uh, two, two things there. When we look at uh, earlier in Genesis chapter 3, and I just have you turn there, Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, God, God did something that he had never done before. 
Now, remember, Adam and Eve, they, they were deceived. They um, were deceived into eating of a fruit, a fruit of a tree that they were not to have. And when they did, their eyes were opened. And when you look back at chapter 3, verse 7, this is what we're told. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now, that's a massive change because at the end of chapter 2, we're told that they were both naked and that they were not ashamed. Something happened. Something changed. All of a sudden, th- their situation is the same. They're still naked, but now they have shame. They have a guilt with it. And so they go and do something interesting. They go uh, down to um, uh, TJ Maxx, and they get some clothing out of fig leaves, right? And they cover themselves. Now, this is, this is why this is in- interesting, okay? So God comes in and deals with their sin. He, he, he um, confronts all of them, the curse, and all that happens. Fast forward to verse 21 of chapter 3. Also, for Adam and his wife, uh, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now, this is very interesting. Why in the world did God do this? Why did God clothe them? Did they need clothes? They were wearing clothes. They had clothes of fig leaves. They were, they were clothed. So why did God clothe them? Is he just a, you know, a, a fashion guy? You know, that's, uh, let's get you something trendy. What did God do? How do you get skins? He had, to, he had to kill some animals. What God did there is, had never been done before, death took place. He said, when you eat of this fruit, you will die. And then death happened, not to Adam and Eve, but the death of these animals, because this is where he got the skins. And he clothed them with the animal skins. And so what this indicates is that God had to slay animals. In other words, animal blood was spilled in direct response to their sin. That is the point. Now you go, hold on. It doesn't say any of those things. It says he has skin. Like, we know these things because of what the scripture, do you, the best commentary on scripture is scripture, right? So when we go forward, we find out these truths. They're made evident to the world when God begins to choose a nation of people. And in Leviticus 17, 11, he tells us, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for your souls. Okay, now that is revealed to Moses in his time and the the whole Levitical priesthood is set up. Why all this blood sacrifice? Why is all this going to happen? Up to that point, he didn't necessarily have to give the details, although I imagine he did. I imagine Adam and Eve knew very well why he killed those animals and put, I'm sure he communicated that. That's the kind of God we have. In fact, God never tells us uh, or, or never requires us to do something without telling us that he's required us to do something. He, he never just, well, I hope you figure it out, right? I hope you just guess it before I come and crush you all. That's not the kind of God we have. He always communicates what he's doing and what's required. And here in Leviticus 17.11, he clearly demonstrates this is what's going to happen. And the reason is you've got a whole nation of people that are going to populate the earth that are going to be separate from the rest of the world. They had to understand God's standard. Now, when you look at that word atonement, it's important. It's a Hebrew word, kafir, and it means to cover. What did God do when he gave them new skins? Covered them. It's a covering. This is the covering that they really needed. Not fig leaves. They needed a blood covering. Do you understand that? Atonement. When we sin, we are now guilty before God. Our blood condemns us. God knew that. All of mankind is condemned. So now he says, what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to cover that for right now with blood. 
And so what took place in that garden was a uh, covering. Now, it is true, as I gave that example in, in Leviticus, that the categories of the animal sacrifices and the exact times and places that they had to do that and the manner in which they had to do that, all that came later in the time of Moses. But even before Moses, people knew that a blood sacrifice was required. Take a look at Genesis 8.20. We're told this, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird, and he offered burnt offerings on the altar. Where did Noah get that from? Right? Why did he, why did he kill some animals? Why did he put a burnt offering on the Lord? He, he knew that the Lord required these things. This was evidently communicated to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve communicated to the children, and on down uh, it went. Now, there's another phrase that helps us with this in Genesis 4. It's in verse 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering. It wasn't just, um, and then Cain brought an offering. We're told in the process of time, that phrase literally means at the end of days, at the end of a certain period of days, which again is implying or at least hinting at the idea that there was this period that God would require an offering, just like he does later on, right? Day of atonement, one day a year, you're gonna have to come and do this offering. Similar thing happening here. I'm going to require an offering. And so at the end of the days, the offering took place. And Cain brought his offering and Abel brought his offering. They both knew that God required an offering, but they also both knew what that offering needed to be, what it should consist of. Atonement, a blood offering, covering. So why did Cain bring an offering of the fruit of the ground? That's the question. Why did he do that? Was he just lazy? He woke up late that day and said, oh, shoot, well, I'll just grab a corn. <laughs> you know, and No. That's not what took place, and we'll see this. Cain did not have authentic faith. Abel's sacrifice demonstrated something, demonstrated his recognition of his need for a sin covering. He came to God going, oh, I am a sinner. I, I need a blood covering. I need this. And so he provided that to, to, to God. He needed his sins covered to approach God. He understood the character of God, and he understood his condition. You need to understand both those things, really, to be saved. You need to understand the character of God. He's holy, and your condition, you're a sinner. And so, therefore, by the fact of those two things, you are separated from God. He knew that. He understood that. And so he provided a lamb. And isn't it great? Later on, God will specifically require the blood of, a, of the flock, so a lamb or a goat, uh, and, and it needed to be a spotless one for the burnt offering later for the, uh, the tribes, and then later on, a future spotless lamb would be provided that would cover the sins of the world. But Cain did not do this. He decided this, I'm going to approach God on my own terms. I'm going to come to God with my own, I, on my own way. That is our world today. When we make up our own approach to God, when we come up with our own, like, I think you can get to God this way, what is that called? It's called false religion. That's what that is. Every religion on the planet has come up with some idea or other of how to get to, to God. You know, we talked about this in Hebrews a lot, that we, man is confined in time and space. We're in this box, and you can't get outside the box. But man is always trying, oh, no, if you meditate long enough, you can get there. If you do these works, you can get there. But God says, no, you're stuck here. For, for, for man to get to God, God must come to man and tell him exactly how this must take place. God must communicate that. So what this institutes here. Cain instituted the first false religion. False worship is taking place here. And God does not accept those that come to him on their own terms. Have you heard people say that? Well, I'll come to God, but he needs to reveal himself to me first, or he needs to do this. God doesn't need to do jack. <laughs> he has done everything. You come to him. 
or you suffer the consequences. And so we're told that he did not respect Cain in his offering. Now, that sounds kind of harsh, so he just didn't respect it. But let's look at this word respect. It's sha'ah, and it is to regard or look at. He didn't look at it. He didn't regard it. He didn't accept that offering. That's the idea there. And he didn't accept the offering, but notice what it says also in verse 5. He did not respect Cain and his offering. It wasn't just the offering. It was Cain. Neither his offering nor Cain were regarded. God accepted neither of them. Now, that is very interesting. Now, Cain came to God. He worshiped God, at least on his own terms. He brought him an offering. He didn't mind worshiping God. He believed in God. He had all those things, but he wanted to do it in his own way. And tragically, because he was unwilling to offer God that which God requires an offering that acknowledged his sin. Verse 16 tells us he went out from the presence of the Lord. So he's no longer allowed in the presence of the Lord. Those allowed to dwell with God only are only those who have come to him with authentic faith. Faith that is, is trusting in what God has said, not at what man has decided about God. So what Cain is an example of is a natural religious man. A natural religious man. We looked at that a bit last week. He believes in God, but he also believes in his own works. He also believes he's a pretty good guy. And Paul, he speaks about people like this in Romans 10. Look at this. Romans 10, verse 2. For I bear witness, I, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Now, there are all kinds of people on the planet with a zeal for God. All kinds of people. And they just say, oh, these people are zealous for God. But first of all, what God? And what kind of God? And, and if they have a zeal, then they have a zeal without knowledge because they don't know the real God. But all kinds of people, zealous for God. They're ignorant, though, of what the Bible says about God's righteousness when compared to their own. And that's what this verse says. God communicated his holiness in a million ways throughout Scripture. And when you look at it, it's just unbelievable. You start at the garden, right? Adam and Eve being kicked out of the garden. Oh, you sinned? Oh, you're out. I, I cannot fellowship with you. I can't just ignore that. That's done. You go up to the, the flood. God wiped out humanity because of sin. You just look at the Israelites and you think of the angel of death. You're going to have to have a Passover lamb and the blood on the doors and get in the house because I'm going to come down. I'm going to judge sin. If you're not in there, you're, you're getting judged along with everyone uh, else. Think about when he was on the mountain before the Israelites, fire and smoke up there. He says, set a boundary around that mountain. You can't even get near it and touch it. You can't get near it and touch it. What was he communicating with all of these things? Sin offerings, burnt offerings, peace offerings. To the priest, think about the priests. Okay, make sure you bathe the, the right way, wear the right thing, get the blood you know, the right way, and come in and sprinkle it this way. He's communicating over and over again, I am holy. You can't just approach me. It's very difficult to just approach God. And so he told them in Leviticus 20, 26, And you shall be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy, and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. I'm holy, and you need to be holy if you want to be with me. And so this whole system was a, a covering system to have them have a temporary sort of covering righteousness until the full sacrifice could be paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. So go back to Cain. Cain did not submit to the righteousness of God. In other words, God's manner of obtaining righteousness. And instead, he tried to reach God through his own righteous works, and he was rejected because of that. 
And that's what takes place when man tries to come to God in their own, uh, own way. They, um, they are ultimately rejected. The Bible tells us that there's none righteous. No, not one. The Bible tells us that our righteousness is like filthy rags. In fact, there is a, a, a little story in Luke 18. There's two people in the uh, temple court. They're praying. One's a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. And, you know, he, he's got all the, he's all, all the righteous works. Um, and he's praying to God. And all he's doing is he's listing all his works before God. Oh, God, I am so great. Let me just recount my works for you this week. I fast twice a week. I, I give t- uh, tithe of all my, of all my, all, everything I possess. I, I do this. I help an old lady across the street. I mean, he's listing all these things. Aren't I great? And then there's a tax collector who can't even barely lift his eyes to heaven, and he's just crying out to God, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He recognizes his condition. I'm a sinner. And in that little story, only one man left justified. It was the tax collector. It was not the Pharisee. In our story, you have Cain and Abel. Only one man left justified. Only one man approached God in the proper way, and he was declared righteous, and that is Abel. Only Abel did that. And so you have an authentic faith. He understood his need for that sin covering. He listened to God. He trusted God at his word, and he obeyed him, and he brought the proper sacrifice. The second thing you see in verse 4 is authentic righteousness. Because he had authentic faith, then he had authentic righteousness. It says this, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. All right, so here in Hebrews, we're getting a little further information that sheds more light on, on the whole picture of Genesis 4. Um, we're told uh, through which he obtained witness. That word witness is martyreo, which we looked at last week in verse 2, where it said uh, test, uh, testifying, okay, or testimony. So this is the same thing. Abel's uh, more excellent sacrifice gave witness to God that he had authentic faith, a real, real faith. Abel was a sinner just like Cain. He wasn't a better person than Cain, but only Abel trusted God's word, and only Abel came to him in obedience. So that's authentic faith. Faith faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Now, when you think about this, Jesus echoed this as well. Okay, this is true of all of us. He said, "If if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples. The faith coupled with obedience, trusting God in his word and obeying God in his word. We trust in it, and then we believe it, and we follow it. And in James chapter 2, we're told this, James chapter 2, verse 14, what does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? And in verse 19, you believe that there is one God, you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? See, Abel gave witness, that word again, testimony to his faith through his works, and he was declared righteous, okay? He wasn't saved because of his works. He came to God in obedience, but his works were testimony, a witness to what he believed, a witness to the fact that he truly had authentic faith, begins with faith. And so Abel's had, Abel had a righteous standing before God. And Jesus, I told you earlier that Jesus mentions Abel. Jesus mentioned uh, his faith, and he did it in Matthew. Matthew recorded it. And this is that famous section where, where uh, Jesus is uh, pounding the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You remember that? 
They're the religious leaders. They're the people who should have been shedding uh, light for people to follow in the darkness, right? Here, this is the way to go. And instead, he says, you're blind guides. You're blind. You're blind leading the blind. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And in that section, this is what he says. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Now, what in the world is he talking about? What's his point here? The Pharisees had created a, a, their own way to God. It is a works-based system. They had taken what God had given them. They had turned it into a works-based system of self-righteousness. That's why that Pharisee prayed, oh, God, look how great I am. And in God's mercy, what God would do was send them messengers. He would send them prophets and say, hey, you're going the wrong way. You're straying. And, and they, would, they, would, they would kill them. They would kill the prophets. He brings up Zechariah here, doesn't he? Now, Zechariah was a prophet during uh, the, the divided kingdom. And Judah in the south was apostate. They were committing apostasy. They were departing from the faith. We talked a lot about that. You should know what that is by now. And Zechariah's message to the people was this. Why do you transgress the commandment of the Lord? Um, you cannot prosper when you transgress the commandment of the Lord. And because you've forsaken the Lord, he's going to forsake you. That's a great message, a popular one that will always go over well. <laughs> and it doesn't. And, and so they, um, they, they stone him. They stone him in the temple court. And when they do that, his last recorded words were, the Lord, look on it and repay. You know, Lord, get him. <laughs> That's what he was, he, was, he was praying. And so these were apostates, people who departed from the faith. God's people he had chosen departed from the faith, and they killed righteous Zechariah. Now, get his point. He also mentioned someone else, Abel. Abel was killed. Righteous Abel. Well, who killed Abel? Cain. So what's he saying about Cain? Cain is not even mentioned, is he? But what is he saying about Cain? Cain is also an apostate. Cain is one who had departed from the faith. Remember, you check Scripture with Scripture. You don't necessarily get that all from Genesis 4, but you certainly get it from the rest of Scripture. He implies it there. Zechariah was killed by apostates. So was Abel. And we know the murderer of Abel was Cain. In fact, you look at this again in John, 1 John. John is contrasting. He's contrasting the children of the devil with the children of God. That's a really hard thing, right? I'm going to categorize everyone here. Devil and God. Terrible. But he's doing this. And in 1 John 3, this is what he says. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteousness. Now, I hope, keep that up there for a second. I hope you can see what's taking place here. Did you get what he said there? Why was Cain considered to be of the wicked one? Right away, some people go, oh, uh, he's a child of the devil because he's a murderer. That's not what it says. That's not what it says. But that's what we say. We say, I'm, I'm good because I had never murdered anyone. That's not what it says. He, he, he didn't say because he committed murder. John asked the question, why did he murder him? And in that, you see that the act of murder didn't make him a child of the devil. It was the unrighteous works prior to the act of murder. Do you see that? And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil. What works were those? His self-righteous works. He decided he could get to God and get God's approval through his own way. I can approach God 
in whatever way I want. Well, that, that's exactly what God rejects. Cain's works were evil, and the works of Abel, they, his brother, those were righteous works. And Cain, because he knew the truth and God communicated the truth to him, he would be an apostate because he rebelled against that. The Israelites who killed Zechariah were apostates, and Cain who killed Abel was also an apostate. It's hard to believe. He, 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 he brought an offering to God. Yeah, he knew the true way to God. He just decided to, to go his own way, depart from the faith. When you read the book of Jude, you know, Jude is describing the characteristics of an apostate. And he says they're immoral, they're insubordinate, they're irreverent. And then he says, all of those apostates, woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. He says they're, they're just like Cain. Cain was immoral. He committed murder. Cain was insubordinate. He rejected God's authority. Cain was irreverent. He talked back to God. Do you remember that? Where's your brother? Hey, hey, hey am I my brother's keeper? Abel deemed righteous. What about his offering? What about his offering? Look at that. God testifying of his gifts that said that. God testifying of his gifts in Hebrews 4. So Abel was considered righteous. God testified of his gifts or his offering as well. When it says testifying, it's martyreo again. But Abel's offering witnessed of his righteousness. In response, God witnessed of his offering. So what you see is this. God, how did God communicate that? If God said, I accept your offering, how did God do that? We have an offering of uh, fruits, right, from Cain. We have an offering of the, the, the blood and the animal from, from Abel. And God somehow communicated to them which one he chose. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us right there, right? We, we don't know exactly what happened, but we could probably make a pretty good educated guess. Because in the Old Testament, there are er other examples of God doing this. What probably happened is he consumed it with fire. God, several times, five times actually in Scripture, we see this happening. You have Moses and Aaron, and God consumes the sacrifice with fire from heaven. Everyone can see it. We have Manoah and his wife. Do you remember that? Hey, cook me some meat. And boom, right in front of me. Consumed with fire. The famous one, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And they're cutting themselves and they're trying to do the sacrifice and trying to get God to respond. He doesn't, but he responds to Elijah's and whom he consumes it with fire. David at Ornan's threshing floor, he consumes it with fire and certainly at Solomon's dedication of the temple. These were unique moments where, where people were watching whether God would accept the proper approach to him or not. And he did it. And I'm guessing that that's what he did here. How, did, how else would God show which one he had accepted? There had to be some way God communicated or testified of the acceptance of Abel's gift. So Abel had authentic faith, and as a result, authentic righteousness. He was declared righteous, and God accepted his offering, and that, sh that showed that. But there's one more point. He had authentic witness. In verse 4 again, it says this, And through it, he being dead still speaks. I, I, I love that verse um, because I told you that Abel's not recorded as speaking one solitary word in all of scripture. And yet here we're told he's dead, but he speaks, not even, but, but still speaks, which means he was speaking then, even though we didn't see him say anything. What did he say? Well, look what more, more time at that Genesis account after Cain killed his brother. Look at verse 10 of chapter 4. This is amazing. This is God questioning Cain. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood 
cries out to me from the ground. The voice of your brother's blood. Abel was speaking even in Genesis 4. His blood was speaking from the ground. And what was Abel's blood declaring to God there? Well, you can look at this again from uh, Jesus' point of view. We looked at what he said in Matthew. Let me just show you what he says in Luke. It's a very similar uh, thing. But in Luke eleven fifty one, it says this, From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple, yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. What shall be required? Blood, vengeance, payment. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. He went to Cain and said, your brother's voice speaks to me. This is what it says. Anytime a righteous person, a child of God, is killed for his righteousness, God sees it. It doesn't go unnoticed. And God will avenge it. We may not see that avenge in our lifetime. We may not see, we see lots of bad things happen, but we may not see it happen. But God will avenge it. And in Revelation 6, you know, we even see this, a picture of this in John's revelation. In in verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who've been slain for the word of God and for the testimony, the witness again, which they held. And they cry with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. We're still waiting, God, but we know you're going to do it because you said you will. God, you will judge. And God will avenge the unrighteous slaying of the righteous. But in a broader sense, what's he going to judge? Sin. This is the biggest point. Abel's blood cries out something bigger. Yeah, yeah, vengeance, but something bigger. You're a sinner. I, I, I require blood. I require blood. I, God does that. You don't take that. I require it. And you now have taken blood. God will judge the world. And he says in his word that the wages of sin is death. Wages of sin is death for all. Cain was a sinner prior to his murder of Abel. It wasn't the murder of Abel that made him a sinner. He was a sinner prior to that. But you know what? Abel was a sinner as well. He was a sinner as well. He he didn't live with God in the garden. He was outside the garden. But he came to God in faith, in an obedient response, and he demonstrated authentic faith in God. God had provided uh, for them a proper way to atone for their uh, sins. And Abel regarded his sin. He brought the proper offering, and God in turn regarded his offering. Cain did not regard his sin. He thought that he could come to God through his own righteous works, but he was wrong. And so what ultimately is the message of Abel? What's being declared here? Number one, man can only come to God by faith. That's the only way to come to God by faith. That's it. You come to God simply by faith. And I know we've talked about this in the last few uh, weeks, um, but you, you, this means you, you trust in the once for all sacrifice that was provided for you. That you cannot, I don't care how good you think you are, you cannot be accepted by God. You just don't reach his perfect standard. No one in this room is holy, I'm sorry. I'll argue that one to the ground. <laughs> There's no one perfect, but God is perfect. And we're told in 1 Peter 1, 17, if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but 
with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So if you call on the Father, remember, he, he's going to judge um, according to each one's work. He's not partial. Each one's work. And your work will show that you are a sinner. But praise be to God that you're redeemed not by corruptible things, but by something much greater, the precious blood of Christ. And you notice it's, it's like a lamb, the lamb that we needed. Forgiveness, redemption that only comes to us through Christ. Secondly, Abel communicates that man can only come in obedience to God. You can't say, well, I believe in God, and then live in disobedience to him. That's not authentic faith, because then you don't really believe him. But Romans 6 demonstrates this. It's repentance from sin. This is what it's talking about. It says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for you shall not, sorry, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. We recognize that Jesus, since he died on that cross for our sins, what God requires then is obedience. And we come to him and saying, I, I want that, Lord. It's repentance. You can't continue to live in the same sinful standard and, and patterns of life. It does require a change. The Holy Spirit comes in and does the work, but you really want that to change. I was told a story of a, of a prostitute who came to John MacArthur one time. He led her in the sinner's prayer. She came to faith. He said, praise the Lord. You're a believer. Now, uh, I imagine you have a little black book with some names and phone numbers in it. You know, she goes, yeah, I've got that. Goes, Let's take it out. Let's burn it right now. Let's have a party. Let's light that thing on fire. And she goes, oh, um, oh, do I need... Do I really need to get rid of that? He's like, yeah, yeah, you want to be done with that life? She goes, oh, okay. Well, maybe I didn't want Jesus that much after all. You see, when you're confronted with your sin, do you really, you really want to let it go? Coming to Christ also means letting go of something. I let go of my life. I let go of it. And I come to him in faith and obedience. And the final thing that's communicated by Abel's blood is that sin will be punished. Your blood cries out to me from the ground. And he, God will punish. I know there's mockers out, say, out there say, oh, God is love. He's never going to do that. No, God will punish. He is love, but he's also just, and he's holy, and he hates sin, and he's going to do what good judges do, and he's going to judge sin. And in Romans 6, it says, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love the verse prior to the famous one everyone knows, right? We've been set free from sin. We have the fruit to holiness, to, to everlasting life, but God is going to judge sin. The wages of sin is death, but eternal life is given to us through Christ Jesus our Lord. This is really the gospel that's coming to us from Abel's testimony and also through the testimony of Cain and his works. Cain established the first false religion ever. I'll just go to God my own way. There are many paths to God. God won't care. What do we see that? God cared very much, and he did not regard his offering. He accepted only Abel's. God requires faith, authentic faith, trust in what God's word says. You start there, and then he will see your heart, and he'll say, is that real faith? He knows your heart. I don't know anyone's heart. I could never determine that, but God knows our inward most heart, and he will determine that. If it's real faith, authentic faith, then you'll be declared truly righteous. 
You've got to have a, a felt need. You've got to recognize I am a sinner and I so desperately need the saving that comes only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word to us today. We thank you for the wonderful example of, of Abel and, and Cain, Lord. Uh, what a unique passage. What a unique character to pick as the first example of a man of, of faith. But it's, it's clear what the author is trying to do here trying to pull people who are, just have a tendency to, to works, to, to uh, parade their own righteousness, to find their own way to God, to say, no, that's just not how it works. We all must come to God through faith, authentic faith, real faith, which means trusting in uh, God's way to him. And we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father through him. Lord, we love you. We praise you for this time in your word. We pray that you would help us, Lord, this week as well um, to continue to live for you, constantly exhibiting authentic faith in our lives, Lord, to the praise and glory of your great name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.